ね。This has been a very、uh, influential passage for me that I've thinking a lot about recently. And Luke four eighteen, he says, "The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set free the oppressed." So, like when I think of So this, this good news of the kingdom of God, it is good news for everyone, right? And and that's also Luke, right? There's that famous part where he says, "Oh, the angels proclaim good news for all the people," right?、Mm-hmm. But then Jesus himself, I think, is so interesting. He says specifically, "This is good news for the poor," which includes like the literal poor, right? But you know, the poor in the Bible also just generally refers to like people who、mm-hmm. suffer, people who have needs that are not、right. being met. So、right. like, and if more specific examples in this verse are right, people with disabilities. Um, people who、um, suffer f-、uh, from injustice, people who are in prison, right?、Mm-hmm. And you know, I really hope that like we as a church can be that kind of place where like, hey,、yeah. this is a great this is a great place for everyone, but it's especially good for like the poor. It's especially good for you who are marginalized, you who suffer, you who have needs, because we want to meet them. Do you think that it has to be something that is widespread across? Like every single Christian needs to be doing. This, 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 this. Like,、mm-hmm. Steve, you have、mm-hmm. an authentic gift for、mm-hmm. meeting people randomly and、yeah. somehow creating a relationship with them. And then you have this heart for, you know, the people that are marginalized and suffering and and finding ways to meet practical needs, but also spiritual needs. So I just wonder, does it need to look like that for every Abs- single person? Oh no!、Right. I don't think absolutely not because everyone you're in a situation where you're inside your house almost every day, all day long with young children. Help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the way you express community, the way you're involved with people, is going to be very different、yeah. than the way I am. It's it's not a question of how much are you know are individuals doing are individuals doing enough, but I think you know、mm. if every individual does what God puts on. His or her heart,、yeah. then collectively we as the church could be doing a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. I totally agree. But this is something you know, June and I,、uh, my wife, we we love to say is like, thank God that the body of Christ is so many people and so many kinds of people. Because、um, if we like get together and figure it out together, like I think it could really like some really powerful things can happen. And even in community, you know, we, I've been in every configuration of life group, small group, community group, house church. I've, I've been in so many different forms of those things、uh, over the years, and all of them, all of them, essentially have the same idea involved, and that is,、um, like it says, what is it, Matthew eleven?、Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all about being the people of God. Together, those of us that know the Lord, and being the people of God in our communities that don't know Him. So, how have you preached the gospel to yourself over the past decades in order to be steadfast in this community and church? <laughs> Preach the the whole idea of my identity in Christ.、Mm-hmm. And the freedom and refreshment and excitement that that brings into my life—that took, for me, that took 
decades for me to finally realize, you know, this is who I am. I am in Christ. And that has, I think it's kind of revolutionized my life, really, in the last, maybe only the last 10 years, where it's just been, wow, I can live in this uh and and it's it's not about check boxes it's not about doing things so much as it is understanding who i am and it just gives me a, a desire to love people and and to love god more and i i don't know how else to explain that but identity in christ has been the been the thing for me that's really helped which i guess that's a form of of gospel truth in my life I'm curious how you answer that question for yourself. Yeah. How I share the gospel with myself? Hmm. Um, It's a lot of, honestly, it's coming back to the word. It's reminding myself that God is faithful, that he is Hmm. sovereign, that he, his plan will come to pass. There you go. And I can't thwart that. So, I mean, to me, I'm like, it's good news that I am not the one who has to rescue myself. And that he has equipped me to step into who he originally created me to be (laughs) that was, you know, Mm. lost. And only by his power can I keep going. And so I feel like it takes pressure off. Mm. But also just reminding yourself of so much grace. (laughs) Mm. That's so refreshing to hear. Mm. That's a a message of freedom and, and refreshment. For me, that uh, video, it's, it's a picture of a lot of the conversations that we've been having over the last year and year and a half. And my favorite part, I've watched that video over and over uh, this last week, and my favorite part is when Steve sighs at the end. And the reason I like that, it wasn't a frustrated sigh or a sigh of like this video is going on too long. It was a, it was a sigh of, of, of the gospel truth just kind of giving him this little, like it lifted all the weight off his shoulders for a second. And when he just said, wow, that, that is refreshing. That is what the gospel ought to be for us. Uh, we are in uh, the second week of a series working through our a new mission and core values. And if you were here last week, um, we went through our new mission statement, which is also on the card on your chair. That would have been helpful for TJ earlier. Um, And so this is our new mission statement, um, that at RIV, we invite everyone to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like him. And so what we're going to be doing for the next six weeks is we're going through six core values uh, that we have put together um, over the course of the last really almost like a year. We've been, uh, it's mostly actually about six or seven months we've been working on this. Um, But these new core values that some of them are who we are, some of them are who we have historically been, and some of these are aspirational things that we just hope that um, we would be. And for me, this whole process of working through this mission and core values has been amazing for me because these are things that I personally desperately want to be true of us at RIV. And so our first core values should be one of the most obvious things in the world for us. And that is, as a church, we want to be gospel-focused 
and motivated. And for most of us, that should be uh, like a dust statement, right? We grew up in the church. We know that it should always be about the gospel. But for many of us, this is not something that we think about. We don't think about being gospel-focused, gospel-motivated. And what we're saying is we want to be laser-like focused on the gospel and have it change everything about who we are. We want to call people to believe the gospel of Jesus and to live out the gospel of Jesus in their life. It's kind of what we've been talking about a lot, and you saw in that video, is there's the gospel, and then there are implications of the gospel. And we want both of those to be true. We want to proclaim what Jesus has said to us and what he has done for us in the gospel, and we want that to affect our lives, that there are implications in every area of our lives. So we want to be gospel-focused, and we want to be gospel-motivated. But to look at what that means, we really have to look at that word gospel. And we have to think about what is the gospel. Well, in Greek, the the language that most of the New Testament was written in, the word gospel that is translated gospel is the word evangelion. Now that may sound familiar to you, evangelion. It's where we get the word, yes, evangelical. And what it means is good news. And part of the problem is in our society, uh, some of it is deserved, some of it is not deserved. The word evangelical has a really bad rap right now, and that is a sad thing. Because the word evangelical, the word evangelion, the word gospel means good news. And an evangelical person is someone who should be known for talking about the good news, bringing good news to people. And yet for reasons, like I said, deserved and undeserved in our society, the word evangelical has become almost like a curse word. And that's heartbreaking for me because of what the gospel truly is. See, if you track through the Bible, um, there is a, uh, many people call the, 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 the arc of human history, and the Bible traces what it is that has happened, uh, that, the reason why we need good news. And this is a graphic we put together to describe the arc of human history. And it's this, there is creation, and then there is fall, and then there is redemption, And then there is restoration. And let's think about these for a second. Creation is what things ought to be, how this world ought to be. It's how uh, God created everything to be perfect. And then there is the fall, and the fall is what is. And you'll notice, it's a fall. It is is no longer perfect. It is sinful. It is painful. There is suffering in this world. That is what it is. And then Jesus, in his work on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension to heaven, he brings redemption to this world, and he brings to the world what could be. Jesus lived, even as Frank was saying in that video, how things could be in our world, and restoration is how things will one day be. Think about this. This is harmony with all of creation, but it certainly isn't where we live now, is it? Because we live here. We live in the fall. But what we do as followers of Jesus is we lift our eyes from the fall and we look toward restoration. We look toward what things could be, and in doing so, we end up living here. And we bring the world here and bring their focus here. 
That's what we do as followers of Jesus. That's our calling. That's what it means to be gospel-focused and motivated. And so what we're going to do today is, and, and this is maybe a terrible idea, I'll let you know in about 20 minutes, um, is we're going to look at a biblical case study that shows us what happens when redeemed people, right, lose hold of this gospel when they lose hold of this good news, when they're no longer evangelical in the godly Greek sense, what happens if they lose all of that and what happens when they gain it back? And the way we're gonna do this is we are gonna skip our way through an entire book of the Bible. We're gonna skip our way through the book of Galatians. And so if you have your Bible, you can flip, tap, or swipe your way to the book of Galatians. And this was written by a guy named Paul um, to a bunch of churches across a scattered area called Galatia, okay? And so this is what he says in the first chapter. He says this, he says, grace to you, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so you'll notice what Paul does here is he starts with the gospel. He starts with the good news. He reminds us that Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins, and he says he did so for a specific reason. What is it? to rescue us from this present evil age. In other words, we are living in the fall. We are living with the world not being as it should be or ought to be or how it one day will be, but we are living in a present evil age and that we need a rescuer to save us from this present evil age. And if we really grasp the fact that we are living presently in an evil age, it helps make sense of so much in this world. Several weeks ago, before Russia invaded Ukraine, um, our life group was talking about historic colonialism because, of course, we were. Um, and one of the guys asked this kind of like brutally obvious question. He's like, why do people always invade other people? <laughs> Why do people always go and enslave other people? Why does this always happen? And why, 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 why can't we get to a point where this stuff just stops, right? Well, that's the conversation we were having. And what we came to was because we live in a present evil age, because sin is very real. And the good news of the gospel is Jesus has snatched us. He's rescued us from this present evil age. Go down to verse six. Paul says, I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if I or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, a curse be on him. It's a pretty intense statement. Paul says, I am absolutely amazed. I'm, I'm stunned. I'm astonished. You guys say that you follow Jesus and you've so quickly bailed on the good news. I mean, look at the words that he described this new gospel that they were believing. He says this new gospel is different. It's a different gospel. It is a distorted gospel. It is a gospel that is contrary to the good news that they had seen. So what happened is, in this church, these churches in this Galatian region, they had tweaked the gospel just a little bit. And they had tweaked this gospel and said, you know, this one is better, right? 
And yet the tweaking that they had done to the gospel was actually a distortion of the gospel. It, it, was, it ended up making the gospel contrary to what the gospel actually was. So much so, Paul says, if anyone preaches this to you, he says it twice, they should be cursed. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty intense, and it's significant. See, because we all understand this world is not how it ought to be. You don't have to be a Christian to get that. You just got to go to social media right now and look around. This world is not how it ought to be. The images, are, I mean, I'm, we, we have like the news on all the time at my house right now, which we've never done before. It's just always on. And the images are heartbreaking. And all of us want to fix what is broken. We want to try to figure out a good way to make this world a better place. And there's people who will say that the way to make the world a better place is politics or it's policy or it's social action. And those are all good things. They all have their place. But none of those things will ultimately fix this present evil age. For that, we need a better good news. Look at what Paul writes. I love this. Verse 7, he says, not that there is another gospel. (laughs) In other words... There are some ideas and philosophies in this world that may actually sound actually a lot like the gospel, but they are not. They sound like they're good news, but ultimately and eternally, they are not. They are distorted or they're contrary to the, to the gospel. They're, they're twisted up. And sometimes they even end up sounding good, but what they do is they make evil good and they make good evil, Right? And they twist the gospel. So Paul doubles down in verse 11. He says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel preached by me is not of human origin. By the way, this is the ultimate flex right here, what he's about to say. He says, For I did not receive it from human source, and I was not taught it. It came from a revelation of Jesus Christ. Ultimate flex. He's like, If you want the gospel, I got the gospel. I actually got it from Jesus. And then in the following verses, he goes on to describe what his life was like before Jesus. He talks about the fact that he was educated, that he was articulate, that he was passionate, and that he was wrong. He was educated, he was articulate, he was passionate, and he was wrong. By the way, we need to be better at saying that. Because sometimes every one of us is wrong. We can be passionate and articulate and educated And wrong. Paul goes on to describe what his life was like before Jesus. And then he talks about his conversion. And then he talks about the 17 years that came after. His first 17 years of gospel ministry after Jesus saved him. And he was telling, uh, talks about how he brought the gospel to the world. And he planted all of these churches. And then he hit a snag. His ministry hit the snag. And the snag in his ministry didn't come from outside the church. The snag in his ministry came from inside the church, from people who said that they believed the same gospel that he did, but that it had become distorted. Go down to chapter 2, verse 4. He says this. He says, this matter arose um, because some false brothers, and by the way, there's a little bit of a debate in Christianity about that terminology and whether these guys were actually Christians or not. And that is an important thing to debate but not right now, Um, but just know that there were some people here in the church, uh, they were false brothers, he says, um, uh, who had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. But we did not give up and submit to these people for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. This is pretty intense stuff, right? 
He says there's these guys that came into the church and they started distorting the gospel and they started stealing the freedoms that we have in Christ. And we didn't submit to them. He said, even for a moment, why? Because they didn't have the true gospel. So then Paul goes and he sits down with three of the other apostles, uh, uh, James, Peter, whose name is also Cephas. That will become important because you'll see it that way. And John, and he wanted to sort this whole thing out with them. Because there was something happening with these false brothers and this distorted gospel, and he wanted to figure it out with these guys. And in the middle of that narrative, he gives this important little phrase in verse 7. He says, uh, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. Now, this is important for a couple reasons. Uh, The first is that Paul's primary ministry was preaching the gospel to rest, that Jesus had rescued people from this present evil age to the uncircumcised, which means to the non-Jewish people. And that he knew that Peter had a ministry primarily to Jewish people. It's actually okay to have ministries targeting different groups of people, right? And so they, they were targeting different groups of people, sharing the gospel with them, but they still had the exact same gospel. The second important meaning has to do with circumcision itself, which is at the heart of the issue Paul is dealing with here in the distorted gospel. Because what was happening is these false brothers who had infiltrated the church and spied on their freedoms, what he was, they were saying to them is if you want to be a Christian, you have to become Jewish too. And this is how they said it. They said, if you're a true follower of Jesus, you need to obey the Mosaic law. The 613 laws in the Old Testament that were given to Jews that they had to obey, that, that was now incumbent on followers of Jesus. And the way that you could show that you are going to be under the law, that you're going to obey the Mosaic law, is if you're going to become a Christian, um, and even if you're Jewish, you have to get circumcised. That's the way you're going to show everybody, I don't know how, but show everybody that you, right, became a, a follower of Jesus. And that was a distortion of the gospel. And notice what they did. They took the truth of the gospel, right? Jesus saved you. He's rescuing you from this present evil age. And then they added something. And that's where distortions of the gospel happen most often. We take the gospel and we either add something or we subtract something from it. They added something. And the gospel at its core declares that you have been set free from the eternal consequences, guilt, and power of sin because of what Jesus has done, right? What happens is we sometimes look at that and we go, that doesn't feel like enough, right? Like, 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 and by the way, if you ever hear somebody use the phrase, a real Christian, dot, 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 or if that person was really a Christian, dot, 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 it doesn't mean that the next thing that they say is going to be false, but you should pay attention, right? Your radar should go up. A real Christian votes for this political party. A real Christian spends an hour a day uh, reading their Bible and, and praying. A real Christian is blessed by God with material wealth. A real Christian sells everything that they have and lives in a cardboard box for the poor. Jesus plus something. Something that usually that person has a deep conviction about, or they think this is the best way to follow Jesus. Best way to follow Jesus, spend an hour a day in prayer and word. What could be wrong with that? Selling everything you have and giving it away to the poor, what could be wrong with that? Being materially blessed, voting for a political party because of your conviction, what's wrong with that? Well, the problem is we add those things and then we say, this is still the gospel. Jump down to verse 11. 
He says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles. By the way, regularly is one of the hardest words in the English language to say for me. Can't do it. Regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. That's a party, isn't it? (laughs) There ain't no party like a circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray by by him. Okay, look what he says. Paul says, Peter shows up and I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. You may remember a couple months ago, I did a message on buckets of belief. We had a whole bunch of buckets up on the stage. You guys may remember that. May remember there was a tiny little bucket over here. This is the stuff that says clear in scripture, salvific. This is the stuff we hold too tightly. And then the other stuff we progressively um, don't fight about, right? But there is stuff to fight about. There's stuff that's so important that we would get into somebody's grill on. Paul said, this is one of those things. I publicly got into Peter's face, he said. Why? Because Peter sat at the wrong lunch table. It's like, it's like high school cafeteria gone wrong. Now, most of us, unless we're homeschooled, we know what it's like to be at the high school cafeteria table. I don't think that's changed in decades, right? I mean, there's always the table with the jocks, right? I'll, let me just tell you about my high school. It was a long time ago. The jocks, and then there were the, 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 the band geeks, that's what they called them. And then I was part of the drama group, right? They had a name for us. I can't actually say it publicly. Um, the, drama, the drama group. And then there were the stoners, right? And so we all sat at our, our own tables, and you just sat in your tables, right? Well, the, what the gospel of Jesus does is it takes that whole cafeteria and it shakes it up. <laughs> That's what it does. The gospel of Jesus says that all of us, um, no matter what our background, no matter what group we hang out with, no matter how different we are, that we are all one in Christ Jesus. So I want you to get this picture in your head. This is the sort of thing happening with Peter. Peter shows up in town. He hangs out with the Gentile believers. The Gentile believers are those who are non-Jewish. So, um, and when he hangs out with them, he, he eats at their table. And I think that's really important that he says this is around food. He ate at their table because what that probably meant is that they were eating food that was forbidden for a Jew under the Mosaic law. Maybe they were having BLTs. I don't know what it was, right? They, the, but, and then when the guys from the circumcision party showed up, he just switched tables. And that was big enough for Paul to get in his grill. I want you to put this into high school context, right? Imagine you're in high school and there's the cool kids, right, at the table. Obviously the drama club, Right? <laughs> Right, and so so you go into the cafeteria and and you sit down with the the um, and, and when you walk into the, the the cafeteria you see that there's this other table and this is where the dorky kids are you know the jocks um, and so you go sit with them and they eat protein bars and creatine uh, for lunch and so you have protein bars and creatine because you know you're just trying to hang out with with them and trying to make them feel better about you know being you know dorky jocks right this is where the drama kid actually gets to win um, right. <laughs> But then when the drama kids show up, you just switch tables. That's essentially what he was doing. And Paul got in his grill and said, no. And I know that sounds goofy, but it was important. Now, here's the question. Was Peter proclaiming a false gospel? 
probably not with his words, but with his actions, he wasn't living out the implications of the gospel. So his life were preaching a false gospel. Sometimes we believe the gospel, but we don't live out the implications in our lives. And it shows in how we treat people. Look at verse 14. It says, but when I saw that they were deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, if you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, he called him out. He said, you sat at the jocks table and ate the protein bars and creatine, didn't you? You had the BLT, didn't you? If when they're not here, you live like a Gentile, why um, are you compelling Gentiles to live like Jews? And he confronted them because they were deviating, he says, from the truth of the gospel. And by the way, when I'm doing my sermon prep, one of the things I love to do is I love to read uh, the verses in different uh, translations. And I love literally every translation of this verse. So I'm going to read a whole bunch of them. In the ESV, it says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. The NET says, when I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel. The New American Standard says, but when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. The NIV says, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. The message even nails it. When I saw that they were not maintaining a steady, straight course according to the gospel. You see what's happening? They believe the gospel. But they weren't behaving that way. They weren't acting straightforwardly that way. They weren't acting in line that way. They were not maintaining a steady course of the course of the gospel. They had stepped out of line of the gospel with their actions. And it was a much needed punch in the gut for Peter. And I think it's a much needed punch in the gut for many of us. We say that we believe the gospel. But are we focused on it in our lives? So much so that the actions in our lives are motivated by the gospel. Sometimes, I think the answer is no. And if Paul was here, he'd get right in our grill. Look at verse 20. It says, "I, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Now, personalize this for a second like Paul just did. When Jesus was nailed onto that cross, I was nailed to that cross with him. My sin was nailed through Jesus' hands. My selfishness was nailed through Jesus' feet. So I don't live anymore. (laughs) I'm crucified. Now Jesus lives through me. Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me, who saved me, I now live like that. I live and give of myself, and that's what shows the world that Jesus has saved me. Now, don't miss this last verse, because this is the tension we face. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. What is grace? Well, grace is, is getting what we don't deserve. None of us deserve salvation. 
We didn't earn our salvation. We don't try to save ourselves through the law. And this is the tricky part about gospel implications is sometimes we add something to the gospel because we think, oh yeah, that will make it better. If I do some stuff, it'll make it better. That's a false gospel. But the true gospel is we believe the gospel of Jesus. We really have been saved. We've been given everything um, despite what we deserve. There are actually implications of the gospel that flow out from that and change who we are. But we don't tack them onto our lives like law. Most of us are not running around telling people they need to get circumcised to be a Christian. But a lot of us in our mind think that there are certain things we have to add to the gospel in order to be true, real Christians. In fact, so much so that I have a guess that some of you may have actually thought that I just did that to you. I kind of did it intentionally. When I said that Paul would get in our grill, I bet some of you thought, oh, you're right. Okay, I got to do better. If I'm going to be a real Christian, I got to do better. You see how easy it is to slide into law? What, what, what Paul does here is genius. He reminds us we're not saved by the law, but by grace. We are given what we don't deserve. So now we give other people what they don't deserve. We live the life he loved us, so we love. It's not a law. We don't add it onto our life and say, this is what it means to be a Christian. It just flows out from our life. It is the implications of the gospel. Here's how we resolve this tension. Watch how Paul does this in chapter three, verse one. He says, you foolish Galatians. He's really in in people's grill this whole time. Who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? He's like, you dummies. Did someone cast a spell on you? He's like, you would have to be a dumb person a foolish person who somebody has cast a spell on to think that you can make yourself better, that, that, that you can make your Christian life, um, you can make yourself a better Christian by adding things to your faith. So thinking, I, you know what? Now that Jesus has saved me, I better get to work making myself a better person. He's like, you were saved by the spirit of God when you were a terrible person and you couldn't make yourself a better person. Do you think you're now gonna make yourself a better person? No, the spirit of God does that work in you. The same spirit of God that stirred something up inside of you and showed you your sin and saved you is the same spirit of God that is stirring something up inside you and showing your sin now and conforming you into the likeness of Jesus. In fact, let me say probably the most radical thing I'm gonna say today, probably. Sin has no more power over you if you are in Jesus. You can say yes to Jesus. You can live different. You can sit at the other lunch table with someone different than you. None of those things are the gospel. They're all implications of the gospel. It's easy to say, oh, it's too hard. Right? This is just how I am. No, no, no. You have the spirit of God in you. This is true power. Peter could have looked at these Jewish guys when he was sitting at the other table and he could have said, you know what? Let's combine these tables. He could have done that. He just didn't. And that meant he stumbled off the line of the truth of the gospel like we all do. He just missed the mark. He didn't lose his salvation. 
He just stopped walking as he should walk, motivated by the gospel. So Paul rightly confronts him because that's what we need. We need people in our lives who will remind us of the truth of the gospel and show us where we're jumping and falling off the line. And they're not worried that we've lost our salvation. They're just trying to get us to walk toward Jesus more. Paul says it this way in verses 27 and 28. He said, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. Isn't that a great image? We just put Jesus on. We're clothed with Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's go back to the arc of human history. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. The way it will be, restoration, is not the way it is. Fall. So by faith in Jesus... We lift our eyes and we represent him by living the way it could be. This is what it means to be gospel-focused and motivated. Our new identity in Christ, there's no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. In Christ, that, that, that cafeteria table has been thrown up in the air and mixed up. And so our new identities mean that we think and we act and we treat others differently than we would before Jesus. And as people who have been set free by Jesus, we shine the light of the good news by pointing to how things will one day be. Galatians 5.1. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a law of slavery. Get this deep down in your bones. If you've believed in Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, he has set you free. Hard stop. You are saved. Hard stop. And there will always be a pull to slavery, to adding the little bit of law back onto your life. And that's the tension. We love Jesus. We want to serve him well. We want to love like him. We want to walk in step with the gospel, motivated by the gospel. We want to do all those things. But we do it as followers of Jesus by grace, as people who have been set free, not by law. And think about how much more wonderful that is. Would I want my wife to love me because of law? Or would I want her to love me because she loves me? This is the gospel. Go down to verse 13. He says, for you are called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You see that? You've been saved, hard stop. You've been set free, hard stop. So now what are you gonna do with it? He's like, you know, your eternity is secure. What are you going to do with it? Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. You could use this for yourself. You could say, you know what? Jesus has set me free, so great. <laughs> That's it. You could do that. He says, don't do that, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. As a follower of Jesus, you are called to use your freedom to love your neighbor as yourself. Not because you have to, but because you get to. Because in Jesus, you can. You can let go of the selfishness that has been holding you back from loving other people. You can let go of the self-protection that keep, kept you away from people who are unlike you. You have been crucified with Christ. And now you get to love others the way Jesus has loved you. 
And you can call people to place their faith in Jesus to save them the way he has saved you. And the, the great irony of this whole thing Paul keeps pointing out is in doing so, we actually walk in step with the gospel. We fulfill the spirit even of the law by living like this. At Riv, we want to be known as people who are gospel-motivated, gospel-focused, and gospel-motivated. That everything we do flows from being saved and set free and loved by Jesus. When we walk out those doors, we want to live every step in light of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you for Paul kind of both getting in our grill and reminding us of how much we're loved, of taking the law away from us and pointing out a new way that we can live as free people. And so we just pray that we would be people who love like this, that our reputation in our community is that we love like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray, amen.